Hi, welcome to the second episode of the official podcast of the WCD. That's the World Congress of Dermatology, which will be held next in Singapore in 2023. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I am Dr. Aten Wang from the National Skin Centre of Singapore, and I am your host for this podcast. In this podcast, I will bring on dermatologists and skin researchers from all over the world to talk about all things dermatology. And today, I have my other co-host, Dr. Ellie Choi. Hello. Hi, Ellie. Why don't you introduce yourself? Yep, so my name is Ellie, and I'm one of the dermatology senior residents at uh, NSC and NUH. Cool, and I believe you have a piece of dermatology news for us today. Right, so um, you know we've been wearing masks a lot since COVID-19, and actually something that surprised me was when I found out that you actually still have to use sunscreen underneath a mask because the actual sun protection from a mask is not high. Oh wow, okay, that, that might be news to a lot of people. Has that changed your practice? Yeah, so I mean, before I found out this fact, I was actually not using sunscreen under my mask. I'll just put it over my forehead, my temples. But when I found out that actually the mask SPF is maybe only about equivalent to SPF 10, then of course I started reusing my sunscreen again. How about your patients? Do you think they know about this? I doubt it. I mean, you would think that when you wear a mask, it will protect you from the sun. So I think it's a bit counterintuitive that the protection is actually not very high. I think there's some masks out there with some UPF uh, these days, right? Yeah, correct, correct. So um, for sunscreens, we measure the protection by SPF, but for fabrics, it's actually measured through UPF. Um, and now there are commercial masks that, you know, say they provide up to UPF 50. Um, and that's, I think, pretty good for sunscreen protection or sunblock protection. Hmm. And I also think that the masks are also giving us a lot of problems with other forms of dermatosis. So, for example, with the occlusion of the mask, do you think that plus sunscreen might give us some problems? I think for sure. I mean, in the clinic nowadays, we're seeing so many people with mask acne, and this is even if they don't put products on. But what I try to tell my patients is that they can try to use a mask that's less comedogenic in the sense that it tends to block less of the pores. And I understand physical sunscreens are probably also less irritative than the chemical sunscreens. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. And I think the other thing that we have to mention when we talk about masks is that when patients come in for skin can- cancer checks is to not to forget to look under the mask. <laughs> yeah, correct. I always see a patient coming in for a lesion at the temple and then I'm always worried that I miss a BCC on the nose or something. Correct. It's very easy to just skip and forget to ask them to remove their mask. I think also it's, you know, being a bit cautious about infectious spread and things like that. Okay, cool. I think that's very cool. Thank you, Ali, for this piece of dermatology news. Thank you very much. (laughs) Okay, and next I have uh, Dr. Claire Fuller. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, (laughs) bye-bye. Okay, thank you. (laughs) So now I have Dr. Claire Fuller, consultant dermatologist at the Chelsea and Westminster Hospital in the UK, and she's also on the board of the International League of Dermatological Societies, which runs the WCD. She's also the medical director of the International Foundation of Dermatology, which does a lot of humanitarian dermatology. Welcome, Claire, to this podcast. Thank you so much, Etienne. It's a pleasure to join you. Um, Can you tell us a bit more about humanitarian dermatology and your work with the IFD? Sure. So the International Foundation is is a committee, if you like, of of the ILDS, and I've been lucky enough to chair it for the last few years. And it was set up to initially deliver the humanitarian agenda of the ILDS, um, but has grown massively over the last few years and is, is really reaching lots of different areas of resource for setting dermatology provision around the world. And it's really exciting to be part of it and a privilege to lead it. Yes, I noticed on the website that there are grants for many of these initiatives for local um, dermatological chapters to 
do some outreach and education. Can you tell us a bit more about these grants? Yes. So this is um, the ILDS opportunity, if you like, to give back to its member organisations. And uh, the grants are called, it's it's an initiative called the DermLink Grant Award System. And once a year, member societies can apply for some funds to set up uh, a or, or respond to a dermatological need in a resource poor setting, either within their own country or to support another initiative, perhaps where the country in question doesn't actually have a dermatology society. So we've had a real range of uh, projects over the uh, last few years from undertaking big community outreach clinics in Nigeria to uh, running a teaching session uh, on Indonesian islands. It's been really exciting to see what's been achieved. How has the COVID-19 pandemic affected these programmes? Well, the Dermnik programmes, the grant uh, awarding programmes, some have had to be postponed because of the the, um, pandemic, because they require feet on the ground type activities and actual physical presence. But some of our awardees have managed to be very innovative and go virtual. I think one of the most exciting ones, our flagship institution, training institution, is the Regional Dermatology Training Centre in Moshi in Tanzania. And that's been running now for 30 years. And it's hardly missed a January CME meeting over those 30 years. Um, and this year, obviously, we weren't all able to go and visit, which is um, was a great shame. But with great ingenuity um, and uh, flexibility, they managed to run a really, really nice virtual programme. And it was wonderful to see so many people on screen from around the world. Obviously, we're looking forward to seeing them again in person soon, but it was just a wonderful way of maintaining contact, maintaining support for the graduates from that programme and maintaining uh, support and networking with each other. Wow. Are there any initiatives or grants that help these dermatologists and trainees make it to the WCD? Well, absolutely. I I know the um, grant awards have been very generous over the years and certainly prioritise being able to support uh, people attending from um, resource-limited settings. So um, absolutely watch this space and have a look. And I think particularly if... uh, successful abstracts are submitted and there's opportunities for them to be speaking. Wow. The other thing I was quite interested in is that you are running this charity in the UK called Mossy Foot UK, a very striking name for podoconiosis. Can you tell us a bit more yeah, about that? Yes, so it's called Mossy Foot because podoconiosis, the skin overlying the swollen limb, looks very like moss. And podoconiosis, it's a non-infectious disease causing massive swelling of the legs. Uh, so it's a form of non-filarial elephantiasis. And our charity uh, supports the... Um, Footwork International, which is a an integration of podoconiosis control initiatives to eliminate this and other NTDs um, across areas of the world where it occurs. Yeah, the word podoconiosis sounds like it's an infection, but it's yeah. not. It's this um, completely preventable. And I think it sounds a lot like a symptom of education, systemic neglect, a lot like bed sores, right? Well, a, a little bit. So it's caused by exposure, prolonged exposure to appropriate silicate soils. So it occurs in individuals who are working, farming barefoot. And um, yes, you're absolutely right. It's completely preventable. So the goal of Mossy Foot UK and also 
Footwork International is to eradicate podoconiosis within our lifetime, which could be done with the adoption of public health campaigns for everybody to wear shoes, particularly when they're farming, and also to control the symptoms. It's very, very simple. And we we do a community-based, very, very simple and cheap intervention, which is to um, to lead to, to uh, extensive washing, moisturisers, and the wearing of shoes and socks to prevent further exposure. And that has an impressive and an impressive impact. Do these patients ever need surgery? The only time we now use surgery is if they develop a sort of nodular variant. So they have the swelling, but on top of that, they have these very firm, almost hyperkeratotic nodules, which limits them being able to wear shoes. The only surgery that's now recommended is the shaving off of those so that the surface is smoother and can accommodate a shoe. The old uh, procedure of Clark's procedure, where large amounts of uh, lymphedema were cut away, is no longer used because the subsequent scarring is pretty debilitating and and actually doesn't really help in the long term. All your work in uh, humanitarian dermatology and all this outreach is very impressive. What advice do you have for young dermatologists to get involved in any of these um, initiatives? Well, I'm delighted to say that one of the things that we've set up recently, um, the IFD has supported the establishment of the International Alliance for Global Health Dermatology, known as GLODERM. And this has been established to build connections with dermatologists, trainees and health professionals around the world whose main interest is focused on advancement of skin health in resource-limited communities. So we're keen to uh, welcome anybody, any young dermatologist, who is keen to explore a career or even just a little bit more about this to join Glowderm, which is free and can easily be uh, found by a little bit of a Google search, and join us as we um, improve sustainable and integrated approaches to clinical care, education, research and policy and advocacy for dermatology around the world, not only globally and internationally, but also locally, because we've all got examples within our own countries of significant resource poor settings, even in very developed environments. Yeah, absolutely. I think I just saw on your Twitter some resource poor settings in America itself that are having these trying trying to get these dermatology education out in the communities. There. Absolutely, and uh, you know, and I think that's that's just a really important message. This isn't all about getting on a plane and going miles away. There's lots of things that um, need to be done locally, and so we're we're really encouraged by the examples of the members we have so far. far. And, and what we hope will be one of the main products of Glowderm is a um, program of mentoring trainees and developing, if you like, a career structure for global health dermatology. There's only one uh, professor, I think, of of global health dermatology in the world, and that's Professor Esther Freeman at the Harvard, and um, and she is actually chairing Glowderm for us at the moment. Thank you. That's very, very interesting. So thanks, Claire, for joining me on this second episode of the podcast. And I think we'll leave in the description links to Mossyfoot, IFD and Glowderm for anyone who's interested. So thank you very much again. And I hope to see you at the WCD. We're counting on being there. Thank you so much, Etienne. And good luck with all the rest of the podcasts. Okay, thank you. Bye. And that was the second episode of the official podcast of the WCD. Thank you for joining us. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also find us on WCD2023Singapore.org for more information. That's our website. And also on Instagram at WCD2023Singapore. Until next time, stay safe and use sunblock.